You can get it done. What's more, you gotta get it done. There's a gleam, man. There's a gleam. Let's get the gleam, all right? Let's go. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. Hey, guys, where else would you rather be? This is Hour 2 of Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson on the WRAD Talk Network. I have three words to say. Fat bottom girls! It's a travel day for yours truly. I'll be uh, headed down to uh, Clinton, South Carolina shortly after the show. Radford tries to win its eighth straight game. Tries to stay within striking distance of first place UNC Asheville. 6.30 tonight here on WRAD, 7 o'clock. From the Templeton Center. No relation to former Cardinal and San Diego Padre shortstop Gary Templeton. That was the big trade, by the way, back for the, what, 82 season, the straight-up trade, Gary Templeton for Ozzie Smith. Didn't work out as well for the pods as it did for the Redbirds. All right, we covered college hoops. Tough loss for Tech last night. Major loss for Tech last night. The defense was terrible. Let's just say it the way it was. Mike Young was confounded by it. 
We heard the comments in the presser. And when you get into a game in the 80s, you score 83, you still lose. Well, there you go. One more last chance, I think, Saturday for a win of significance for a little while anyway against the highly ranked Cavs in the castle at noon. Um, National Football League. A couple of major head coaching hires yesterday. One, D'Amico Ryans, who built his reputation the last couple of years in San Francisco as the defensive coordinator, number one defense in the NFL all around. Now the new head coach at his former place, Houston, which was kind of a afterthought. His wife from Houston wanted to go back. He played there, of course. He and uh, J.J. Watt made a pretty good duo on that Texans defense. So it was really kind of a afterthought the last seven to ten days that if Ryans was going to go somewhere, he was going to go to Houston. All right, he was also a candidate for the Broncos job. The Broncos, my beloved Broncos, have hired three consecutive coaches that had never had any kind of head coaching experience. And as you may expect, they all went up in an inferno of flames. Vance Joseph, Vic Fangio, who was a great coordinator but didn't work out as a head coach. And most recently, the absolute abstract disaster that was Nathaniel Hackett that I told people the afternoon after the announcement that this was going to be the worst hire the Broncos have ever made, and I believe it was. So now, the new ownership group, right? Rob Walton, Greg Penner, his son-in-law, who's really in control of the franchise right now, went on a somewhat exhaustive journey to many fans and to many journalists when they said, look, we've got to get this right. We've got to get this right. They interviewed up to eight candidates, and all these rumors started to fly around, and all these pendants, they started to criticize the process, those coming out of Denver covering the NFL, and all these brainwashed drones that just fell into it as fans. Yeah, I can't believe what they're doing. How incompetent is this group? I mean, they may be good in business, but they don't know anything about the National Football League. I mean, clearly, they're just running around chasing their tail. Nobody wants that job. I mean, my God. And now the facts start to come out, and you realize that this group, which has arguably the greatest retail business model in the history of this nation, you know, Walmart, Sam's Club, you know, worth over $50 billion, that maybe, just maybe, they understand how to go about what is essentially making a hire that's going to be the face and leader of your brand new corporation that you just paid $4.6 billion to purchase the Denver Broncos football team. You've got to get the head coach right. Sean Payton is sitting there. He does a nice job on the Fox set. He burned out in New Orleans. It was over, right? Whatever you think about him, what do you think about Bounty Gate and all that that was unsolved, or did he quit on his team at the end? He still had a couple years left on his contract. Denver had to give up draft capital to get him. So what? It's never mattered before, whether it be Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick, 
or even John Gruden. If you remember at that point, there were two number ones given up for John Gruden. So the Broncos make the announcement yesterday afternoon that Sean Payton was their guy. Oh, and then Ian Rappaport, who usually you have a lot of respect for, but immediately came up with something that seemed kind of off, claiming that the Broncos had been working on D'Amico Ryans all morning. He said, no, I'm going to Houston. And then they pivoted back to Payton and hired him. Immediately, there were counter stories that said, no, that wasn't the case. As a matter of fact, the Broncos had been meeting with Sean Payton for the last week or so, and New Orleans trying to figure out adequate draft compensation. Many meetings took place. Everybody acts like you just have one interview with one of these coaching candidates, and that's it. Like the conversations end as soon as you walk out of the room. Okay, we'll get back to you. Yep, appreciate that. No, we're not going to have any contact, and we don't want you to ask any questions, and we're not ready to answer any of your questions. We'll just let you know if we're ready to talk to you again, maybe to hire you. Then we find out from several other credible reporters, if you want to go that route of the Twitter blue checks, that said, yeah, this is true. The Broncos have been working on Peyton now for the last seven to nine days. D'Amico Ryans had made it clear he was going to take the Houston job or none, and Denver, who liked him a whole lot, was impressed by their interview, probably would have tried to hire him if Peyton had said no. Jim Harbaugh had said no, and I think Harbaugh probably was their top choice. They wanted to meet with him, which they did last week, which the media didn't know about. So then they get angry, and they start slinging these bows and arrows at Rob Walton and the Pinter Group, saying that they're out of their league here in the National Football League. That all of a sudden the NFL which is all about dollar signs. They don't give a damn about anything else because just look at what they do, right? They sign over Sunday ticket to another inadequate streaming service like YouTube. They accept a big ratings hit, which they achieved by moving their Thursday night games from network television to Amazon. The ratings are really down. People don't want to watch their NFL strictly on streaming services. I think that message has been sent, and maybe it'll make the NFL a little wiser when they negotiate their next contracts. But they don't care because they got these huge deals that the networks weren't going to pay. Or your television carriers weren't going to pay. So the NFL is all about business. Roger Goodell is a horrible commissioner. All he cares about is how much money he can make the billionaire owners who employ him, right? They don't care about morals, see Deshaun Watson. They don't care about overall player safety. They act like they do, but they had to because of the threats of civil lawsuit. They don't care about the fan experience because tickets and everything else continues to go up. They certainly don't care about tradition, see the god-awful uniforms and so forth that they allow in their league. (laughs) That's just me getting that one out there as the uniform police. But they're all about business. It's all about, hey, we're a $20 billion a year entity. Why don't we make it a $25 billion entity in 2023-24? Let's do that. So you have the Walton family who is worth what? I've seen, I don't know what the figure is. They've estimated between 40 and $50 billion. They don't lose in business. You don't become a $45 billion heir 
because you're not good at business or negotiating, or because you rush into your first major, major hire once you jump into something like the National Football League. I was on this from the beginning, and oh my goodness, I had all these drones saying, oh, you're just being a homer. People on Twitter, it's so funny to challenge them when they enter know-nothing morons like most of the people on there, especially regarding politics, and they don't want to see the media for what it is, a one-sided entity that has its own interest involved when it reports anything, see the conflicting handling of one president to the next, what's important news for one president who you disagree with and then one who falls in line with your own diatribe so you kind of don't want to report things. Same thing with this coaching search. This group was in charge of this thing the entire time. Yeah, they liked Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, they didn't just want it to go into a Zoom meeting. They had a Zoom meeting with Harbaugh. They didn't like the way that felt. Left a bad taste in their mouth. So they went and met with him in person. Took the whole group out there to Ann Arbor just to say, hey, we'd like to see you. Maybe if we met in person, you might change off your, you know, your desire to stay at Michigan. Just Let's just talk about it. And he said, once again, no, I'm, I'm going to be here. You have to respect that. He wants to be in college football. They're going to announce a major, major deal with Jim Harbaugh soon. It's going to happen. Good for him. And good for this group to go out and try to get what I believe probably was their top choice. They haven't spoken on it. That's just been media speculation again. See, the media gets angry when they get locked out of things. When they don't know to create their own whatever it might be, their own little diatribe about how they perceive things, right? They get angry. How dare they not share information with us? I can't believe this group is so tight-lipped. How come they're not leaking things like John Elway used to do when he was in charge? Or Joe Ellis? Well, we're just going to say this. We're going to say that they're completely embarrassing themselves with the handling of this coaching search. Well, it turns out the people that should be embarrassed are the people who jumped the gun and wrote all these stupid articles and put out all these worthless tweets And then had the audacity, like is currently the case now with the council culture, if you disagree with anything, they try to immediately label you something or the other. Anybody who disagreed with this being an embarrassing search or this group didn't know what was going on, well, they got the guy they wanted all along after, I think, Harbaugh finally said, no, I I, I appreciate it. If I were going to take a job, it would be yours, but I'm really enjoying being back at my alma mater. They did all their due diligence. Not that they didn't like D'Amico Ryans, they did. They had said from the get-go in the press conference after they fired Nathaniel Hackett, we have to get this right, and it's not going to be ideal for it to be someone who hasn't been a head coach before. D'Amico Ryans had never been a head coach before. Russell Wilson came in. He didn't have a good year, his worst NFL year since his rookie year. He was with a horrible head coach and an offensive system that did not utilize his talents. And then all these people are saying Russell Wilson all of a sudden went from 10-time pro bowler to, oh, man, he's washed. He can't play anymore. Yeah, he fell that far in one year. Two years ago, he was a pro bowler. People were talking about his Hall of Fame credentials. He gets to Denver in the wrong system, the wrong coach, didn't have a good year, and now everybody's saying he washed and he can't play. 
Well, you see what happens when he combines with Sean Payton. It needed to be an offensive coach. It needed to be somebody who came in there and understood what it takes to be good at that position, especially as you get a little bit older, as he did with Drew Brees in New Orleans. 14 times in 15 years. 14 times in 15 years he had a top-five offense with the New Orleans Saints. He's been out of coaching. He's won 161 games. He won a Super Bowl. As a Broncos fan, I have to be positive about this hire. Now, I'm not going to be all giddy. I was giddy when they made the trade for Russell Wilson and it backfired. So I'm not going to sit here and be dancing around going, yeah, yeah, this is a can't miss. No, sure it can miss. Absolutely it can miss. I was right there watching it miss week by week this past football season. But I'm telling you what, the other takeaway I had, and this was a very intriguing search, and now all the details are starting to come out. They've been working with New Orleans over the last four or five days. And their GM and with Peyton and his representatives, not only about how the contract was going to look, because apparently this has been done for the last four or five, six days, but they wanted to just get this compensation right. So maybe they leaked the interest in Harbaugh. Maybe they leaked the interest in Ryan's just to get the price down because New Orleans originally wanted two first-round picks in two seconds. Well, the Broncos ended up giving pick number 29 up this year. That's the first-round pick that they got from Miami for Bradley Chubb. Go look, by the way, research of the lack of impact the number 29 overall player in the draft has had over the last decade. Would you rather have a coach like Sean Payton when you've had just an absolute, complete and utter disaster representing that important position on your staff? Or the number 29 pick? They gave up a number two pick next year, but in return, they get the number three pick from New Orleans. So you basically gave up one pick, this year's first, that you obtained for Sean Payton. Plus, you're going to pay him somewhere between 15 to 20 million. I don't care. They're billionaires. There's no salary cap on coaches. People are saying, oh, they're going to have to pay him a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> All right. Rob Walton probably has $15 million. That's sock money. Hang on just a second. Let me let me take off this right shoe. Yeah, there's $7 million. Oh, wait a minute. Here we go. Over here, my dop kit with my toothpaste, there's a couple more million. I don't care how much they pay him. Who cares? And I don't know if it's going to be a slam dunk. He might come to Denver, and he might be washed up. As a matter of fact, that's my expectation now as a Broncos fan who's been beat down over the last five years. But, hey, get it right when you're reporting. So much inaccuracy out there that's just widely accepted. Hey, we got it wrong. It's okay. No, it's not okay. The fans deserve better. We'll be back. Stay with us. More coming up here on a Wednesday. Miss something? Oh, you missed that? Well, here it is. Listen to Big Dog Sports Talk anytime. Yeah, we missed you so much. Available wherever you get your podcasts. BDSD will return in a moment on WRAD. Bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle. I say white, I say bite, I say shark, I say hey man, 
All right, news hits get ready to happen, then we'll come back and we'll be officially halfway home. Hall of Fame third hour, Bill Roth, and then David Till. Lots to talk to both of those gentlemen about. My goodness. ACC schedule release, tech hoops, UBA hoops, all sorts of stuff going on. Hope you're well, wherever you might be on a Wednesday. Seven four four twenty nine ninety on the text line. We'll be back. minutes before the top of the hour. It's the Wednesday edition. I'll be hitting the road down to Clinton, South Carolina. Hey, anybody want to jump in the van and go? Just come on, let's do it. Party, party van down to Clinton. <laughs> Bill Roth, David Teal, and hour number three. Nice text message from Jamie. You can text as well, 744-2990. Rick, I know how loyal you are to your Broncos. I'm the same way with my Washington football team. I hope it works out for you, but there are no guarantees. Correct, which is what I was just saying. You're right, Jamie. And there's not. Look, at, Let's look at Nick Sirianni, by the way. Nick Sirianni is now, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, they're playing in the Super Bowl, Philadelphia. He had his, uh, I remember his presser a couple years ago, and people were making fun of him on Twitter because he made some references to rock, paper, scissors. He talked about how certain systems had to, you know, however he said, you can hear the presser and people were, and they were thinking, wow, what a terrible hire. Oof. Well, now all of a sudden, he's one of the hottest commodities in the league. He's got his team in the Super Bowl, and they're talking about his coaching tree. <laughs> so, you know, there's no exact... You're right. There, there's absolutely no way to say uh, this is going to work out for Denver. There's no absolutes. You're 100% correct. And I'm not saying it's going to be flawless. It's, there's a lot that has to be done there. But they've had one of the worst offenses in the NFL. Uh, I just I have to be excited, though. You know, Jamie, I have to be. I mean, the track record speaks for itself. It, it just does. Um, he's won 161 games in the NFL. So, for me, I'll take it. Absolutely, I will take it. I'm going to take it. No, it doesn't mean that I think all of a sudden they're going to be – it can happen, though. Teams can – I mean, they switch it around. You flip the switch. Jacksonville did it. People thought they settled for Doug Peterson. Well, ended up being the perfect match for Trevor Lawrence. I believe a similar type of matching can happen. It doesn't necessarily have to be a young quarterback. 
I think it can happen between a veteran guy who's ready to say, all right, well, I want to get back to that level. Here comes a guy who's kind of been a quarterback whisperer in Sean Payton. That's all. I just want to see some competence, some credibility in that role as the head coach of my football team. That's all. We haven't had that. And look, I think Vance Joseph is a terrific defensive mind. He's been a coordinator with Arizona. We all know Vic Vanjo is still very highly regarded. He just didn't work out as a head coach. It happens. Tampa Bay's dealing with it now with Todd Bowles. He's a great defensive coordinator. He's proven not to be a good head coach yet again his second time. I don't think he's going to have that job very long. How's he going to handle this coming year without Tom Brady? Ouch. And then I don't know what in the world the whole Nathaniel Hackett experiment was. I'll never understand why that happened, and, and, and I think it was tied directly into uh, Aaron Rodgers. Right, He got hired as offense coordinator of the Jets, and is it the same thing where now they think, oh, okay, well, the Packers might trade Aaron Rodgers. But at least it gives you some hope. And it hasn't always worked out, right? Bill Parcells had some good years. He never was a championship-caliber coach again. John Gruden, it obviously didn't work out. You can say it worked out pretty well for Bill Belichick (laughs) for New England when you make a trade and and all these things happen. So, I don't know. I'm just glad to at least have a guy who's been through it who will run an actual organization the way it's supposed to, get good coaches in there, and then you see what happens. And then you see what happens. I don't know. But it's a much better hire than I think bringing in another one year. Uh, first-year guy. Hey, Bill just texted. Bill's going to be in studio. Wow, that's a treat. Roth report in studio before David Teal. Awesome. So that's coming your way at uh, 805-639-4900, 744-2990. Steve writes in, who do you think is the greatest coach in NFL history? Wow. See, that's what I love about these conversations. You get off on tangents from our listeners. Whew. I don't know. I think it goes in eras. It's called the Lombardi Trophy for a reason. Bill Belichick's been great, but there were a lot of things that eh, they did to get there that you kind of go, okay. You know who has a case for being the greatest coach ever that nobody – really talks about is Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs has accomplished something that as we get further away from it, and I mention this a lot because it still blows me away. It's one of those facts about the NFL that I can't wrap my arms around, especially given today's football, when it's all about the quarterback and it's all about finding your franchise guy, whether you have to put everything into a rookie and you cross your fingers and hope it works out. It's worked out pretty well for Kansas City and for Cincinnati, and looks like it's going to work out, you know, for Philadelphia, the Bills. But usually about 90% of the time that doesn't work out. But I think, okay, even if you don't want to say he's one of the, if he's the greatest coach of all time, he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. But I think he pulled off the greatest feat of any head coach. Can I say it that way? Let me say it that way. Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. No other coach, no matter how many wins they have, how many Lombardi trophies they have, 
will ever be able to say that before or ever again. Right? I mean, put that in perspective today. Bill Belichick has shown he doesn't have a championship program without Tom Brady. I mean, let's just go through it. Mike Tomlin, who I have a lot of respect for, hasn't gotten the Steelers back yet without Ben Roethlisberger. Go through the great coaches you think today are the best ones. Joe Gibbs got through three seasons with three different quarterbacks and won Super Bowls. Joe Theismann, Doug Williams, Mark Rippon. Mark Rippon was an all-pro in Joe Gibbs' offense, right? That still blows me away. It really does. All right, we're getting lots of text messages on this. 744-2990, and I agree with both. Here you go. Um, maybe not the greatest coaches ever, but the most influential. Bill Walsh, yes, absolutely. One of my all-time favorite coaches, he changed the game offensively for the rest of the days in the NFL. Everybody, it's kind of like John Wooden in college basketball. You go to any college basketball practice, you're going to hear the coaches say, all right, we're going to run UCLA cut three. We're going to run the UCLA. He revolutionized the sport. Mike Krzyzewski's entire Duke system was built on John Wooden. Most of these offenses, West Coast, whatever you want to call them, are based on Bill Walsh, absolutely. And Don Coryell, and really, Don Coryell, you go back, he learned from Sid Gilman. All right? That whole passing game from the era of the NFL. Sid Gilman's considered the grandfather of it. Here's another list. From Wayne, Lombardi, Shula, maybe Parcells. Oh, yeah, all of those are on the pantheon of the greatest coaches ever. I don't know if you can find one. Brian writes in, should they ever take Lombardi's name off the trophy? Oh, hell no. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's Vince Lombardi's trophy. When that was named after Vince Lombardi, he was the greatest ever. He took Washington, the Redskins, after he changed the helmets to gold. Sonny Jurgensen of the playoffs in one year. Then his health failed him, and he passed away, could not coach in year two. In one year, he turned the Redskins into a playoff team. And you just look at those Packers teams. I mean, come on. The AFL was an upstart league. They dismantled the Chiefs and the Raiders in those first two Super Bowls. Max McGee completely hung over. Rumors are he was out the previous night until like 5 a.m. Kind of the way I'm going to be tomorrow when I do the show after getting back from Clinton, South Carolina. <laughs> getting back so early in the morning. Instead of just sleeping, I might just have a couple of hot toddies. Who knows? Maybe some mimosas come in here. That's kind of the way Max McGee played Super Bowl One. <laughs> Yet he was the MVP, made two great catches. Then they just throttled the Raiders in the second Super Bowl. No, no, that's the Lombardi Trophy. No, you don't. No, never, never, never. But I'm just saying Joe Gibbs in terms of an accomplishment, three straight 
And none of those quarterbacks are Hall of Fame worthy. Not even close. Hell, I still think Theismann was a better punter than quarterback. (laughs) That was the strike year, of course. John Riggins, the most important play in Washington Redskins history. The diesel going around left end, rumbling down the sideline, putting the capper on that Super Bowl against the Dolphins. Doug Williams, unfortunately, butchering my beloved Broncos in that Super Bowl when they fell behind 10-0, put up 35 points in the second quarter. The beverages started flowing pretty quickly for me after that. (laughs) And then Mark Rippon got his title when those Bills teams were going into four consecutive Super Bowls. And you know what? Give some props to Marv Levy. No, you're not going to find him on any greatest head coaches of all times list. But how about making four consecutive Super Bowls something nobody's ever done, something nobody will ever do again? I don't think. I know they lost them all. The first one on the Norwood kick. Then they got outclassed twice by Dallas and then once by Washington. But that in itself, getting back four times in a row, really? That's just, that's crazy. Think about dominance in sports today, even collegiate sports. I mean, heck, Alabama and Georgia football, that hasn't happened yet anyway. But Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls, three kind of different ways. He evolved the offense a lot under Rippon. Didn't have John Riggins, you know, in the latter two. All of a sudden it was Timmy Smith having a game of his life against the Broncos in that Super Bowl. And then just an unbelievable running slash short passing game. Rippon just excelled so much. That to me is the most amazing feat. Especially when you talk about the great coaches today and how much importance is placed on the quarterback position. And rightfully so. But man, oh man, that's, that's mind-blowing. Lombardi didn't do it. I mean, go through the great ones. Shula didn't do it. Noel didn't do it. Belichick hasn't done it. Bill Walsh didn't even do it. Tom Landry didn't do it. All those different quarterbacks. No, they had the same quarterback. Remember the 49ers beat the Chargers under George Seifert, that wasn't Bill Walsh. So Bill Walsh won all of his Super Bowls with Joe Montana. Bill Parcells didn't do it. Although he did have Phil Sims, and I guess you can call it the Jeff Hostetler, when they beat the Bills in the Whitney Houston National Anthem Super Bowl. Was that 91, I think? 92? But go through all the great coaches that have won Super Bowls, all the greatest coaches in the game, and nobody's going to be able to say they did what Joe Gibbs did. And you can't even wrap your arms around that today. Who are the best teams today? Can you imagine Kansas City without Patrick Mahomes making a playoff run? No. Cincinnati's been risen by Joe Burrow. Go to the best teams today. Jalen Hurts clearly has made... Citriani, that guy in Philadelphia. Josh Allen has brought the Bills to perennial contenders. It's the quarterback position. Imagine any of those teams without those current quarterbacks. The Bengals would still be an afterthought. The Bills would still be trying to catch maybe the Patriots, the Dolphins, and maybe the Jets too. Who knows? But here's Joe Gibbs creating three championship seasons with three different quarterbacks. It's just, it's mind-blowing. 
mind-blowing. It really, really is. But I know I got off on a tangent, but it's good. People are getting involved. I'm sending, getting all these lists of great coaches. I love the references to folks. This is how great you are as an audience. The fact that people are sending in people who influence the game that although they may not be considered the best coaches. I mean, you get it. Yeah, absolutely. Air Coriel. Bill Walsh. He's written books. All of his books are in every coach's. By the way, if you go to any coach, NFL, most colleges, they've got that Bill Walsh book that he wrote. It's got literally his designs. It's got his plays written in the book. It's got the descriptions of his thought processes as to why he created the offense that he did. It's almost like the holy grail of coaching publications for offensive football. But yeah, good conversation though and good thought. But really, the AFL is the one that really kind of advanced the passing game into the modern era, and that's why I love that league so much. Right? So much. And Sid Gilman, who was the Chargers coach, was the one who really got the ball rolling on that. And then everybody else, Bill Walsh, by the way, came from that tree. So there you go. All right, we're wrapping up Hour 2. Remind you what's ahead coming up in the Power Hour. Stay with us. He won't sit, but oh boy, does he speak. More Big Dog Sports Talk next on WRAD. This is handsome Jimmy Vance, the boogie woogie man, professional wrestler. I'll tell my people, listen, listen to Rick Watson. Yeah! All right, we are uh, finishing up hour number two. You're on an overcast Wednesday. As we open up the month of February. Bill Roth will be in studio. For the Roth Report, then David Teal, the Hall of Famer. A lot to talk about with David, as is usually the case. When Bill joins us, we'll be talking about the Tech game last night. I think that's a difficult loss for them. They needed that one last night. They haven't won a road game. That's something they're going to have to fix. They got one more shot, I think, to make a big impression early this month with the game on Saturday against Virginia. Um, So he'll get into that a little bit, talk about the ACC schedule release. A lot going on. A lot going on. But in any event, we'll talk about that, and then we'll get into the SMA. We'll have his game of the week, the Baker team game of the week, and then, of course, the NRV Heart Heart Clinic top three. And we'll see how all that unfolds a little bit later. Then David Teal, and we'll get caught up on everything going on with him. Tune us in tonight. Radford goes for win number eight in a row. The Highlanders trying to get within a half game of first. Darius Nichols has really got his club playing well and now winning games at the end, which is something they didn't do throughout December in the losing streak. But they're doing it now. And can they do it again tonight in what's traditionally been a very difficult place to play down in Clinton against uh, Presbyterian? It's a small gym. 
It's not necessarily going to be a vibrant atmosphere. Sometimes that can go against you. I've talked to a lot of coaches, right? They want to go into a place that has a lot of electric energy, even if you're on the road. And I agree with that. I think that I think that is a very good point that they make because you go into a dead gym and there's not much going on. It's tough to get that energy level up, and all of a sudden you might find yourself in a in a tough situation you have to battle out of. So part of that psychological game. All right, we're going to step out. Power hour coming up. The Roth Report. Phil in studio. David Teal. Hope you're well wherever you might be. As always, your opinions are very important. Text lines open 744-2990. Baker team hotline 639-4900. We're back with the Hall of Fame Power Hour when we return. We'll 